my name is Louis Davis and this is my Financial Fair Play podcast. On today's episode, I've got Mario. Hello. And Matt. You right? So the whole baseline of this podcast is to inform people about what Financial Fair Play is, how it sort of works and the whole structure behind it because many people today in the football community don't really have a clue about it. So first, Mario, as a Chelsea fan who as a club have been affected by it, do you sort of agree with Financial Fair Play? Well, I agree with it. Obviously, I don't like Chelsea getting hit by it. But at the same time, in Europe, multiple leagues are starting to become one-horse races. You look at the Italian league with Juventus. You look at the French league with PSG. You look at even the English league with Manchester City, the way they've been running away with the league. It's not fair. So I think the financial fair play, it gives clubs, you know, it gives up smaller teams a chance to progress and get better, which I think is good, definitely. Yeah. But don't you think the teams you mentioned, Manchester City, PSG, who have wealthy owners who pump millions and billions of pounds into their clubs, do you not think they have a right to do what they want with their money? No, without a doubt they've got a right to do what they want. But at the same time as a fan, you know, you're looking at other leagues and you see Juventus are going to win it, it, it removes the interest. And if you remove the fans from football, yeah. football is nothing. So although the owners have a right... I think the fans also have a right. And I think, yeah, financial player plays a right, I think, in general. Yeah. Moving on from sort of owners, a club like Arsenal, who Matt supports, do you not think that giving a player like Mesut Ozil 300k every week to sit on the bench, do you not think that financial fair play could benefit a club like that? Yeah, I think it could do, but I think it's Arsenal's wrongdoing, really, because um, because we signed them for 300,000 a week now. Um, other players that want to join Arsenal will try and demand that money now because they'll show that he's not that involved in the team and he still can get that amount of money every week. That's interesting because if a player is on 300k a week and all other players, because every other player is going to want to earn the most money like everyone else if they feel like they're the best player. So you can only really see money increasing as football goes along. So like in a few years, we might see the average player earn at least 200k a week. But I think it's all going to start crashing down in itself because there's not, there's not enough money on the, in the world for this to keep going on and on and on. And I know there are wealthy owners and stuff, but there's also owners that are just kind of wealthy and, you know, they do well for themselves, but they're not, you know, n- not every owner's Mansoor, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it w- I think it will all crash down on itself if it keeps going up like this at the rate it's going up. Well, that's what I mean, because I remember a few years ago where £80 million would buy you the best players in the world, and now it's buying you the likes of Harry Maguire. And no disrespect to Harry Maguire, he's a good player, but he's no Cristiano Ronaldo. Exactly, so at some stage it's going to have to fall down, and that's what we're trying to discover, where financial fair play is in fact beneficial. So, moving on from the big clubs at the moment, like Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain in France... Recently in the news, there has been talks of Newcastle United, a team in the Premier League, not particularly one of the better teams, but fairly average and stable, being bought out by a billionaire owner, reportedly one of the cousins from the Manchester City owner. Now, I've seen things like this with clubs before, where an owner will buy into a club, invest into it, and try and make it one of the big clubs, like Wolves done it previously. But how do you see this happening with Newcastle? Do you think this should be allowed? to make a small club into a bigger club within a few years? Well, I think Newcastle, to be fair, their fans do deserve it, especially putting up with Mike Ashley for that long. And the fans, their away support is nothing short of amazing. You know, they bring a lot of fans down all the time. They sing very loud. They've got some top-notch fans. So, yeah, I guess the fans deserve it. But in terms of football, I don't like the idea of another massive club coming up out of absolutely nowhere, you know. Yeah. Although it can be good for the Premier League, obviously we might see amazing talent in English football. You know, we might see Mbappe in the Premier League and all that. At the same time, 
you know, I don't think it's exactly right. But another point that I think is quite important is, don't you think being in the England Premier League, teams should be investing in their youth to bring in good English players rather than going around and buying players? Without a doubt, man, definitely. Yeah, I think, like, if you look at uh, Chelsea, for example, uh, last summer, I think it was, they signed uh, Rob Green. And they just—I think they just signed him just to bring up the numbers, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think he's 38 now. I think he's just he's, retired. He has retired, yeah. But I think you brought him in as a bit of a coach as well, you know, just to help out around for the numbers and all that. I think yeah. right in the end, he saved the penalty in uh, pre-season, which was amazing. Talking about the youth, I think it will help you having that um, that ban for Chelsea because then it will make you look at your loan options and actually try and give them a run in the first yeah. team. I mean, that's been argued for quite a while. There's been people moaning, well, not so much moaning, but criticising the English setup and how there's not many English players coming through. Because if you look at it, how many England players do you know that play abroad? Other, we know Jaden Sancho. Reese Nelson's that. done well. Smith Rowe is starting to go. You know, there's a lot of English young players yeah, going to the Bundesliga. That's what I'm saying. That's amazing. Because a few years ago, all the Spanish players, the Italian players, French players, they would play here, there and everywhere. With England, they only played in England, which I, is why... I remember Ravel Morrison playing for Lazio and he was like the only English player to play in Serie A and it's well, embarrassing. Well, yeah, he's won. He's played in Italy, he went to Mexico a few years ago and now he's playing in Sweden. So I think that is beneficial for clubs to have players, English players to go abroad not play. A, not only that though I think if you want to be successful at the international stage you look at Italy for example at the moment they're not doing so well all their players play in Serie A not many players play any else same with England as well and you know although they made it to the semi-finals they're not exactly France at France's level you look at France though and you look at Germany all these teams play all around the world they've got players all around the world they're not just stuck in the Bundesliga you know yeah. I think that's, that's important but moving on from Newcastle we do have to notice that money can't buy everything because if you look at Manchester United who spend a world record fee on Paul Pogba they still finished what was it 6th, 5th? 6th, yeah they still finished 6th which as a whole for Manchester United is very poor so where do you think that sort of happens? Do you think the coach is needed as well or do you think it's just all about the money? I think, you know, the coach is needed but money can also buy a coach. You know, a, a, I think heart is needed. You need to want to play for the shirt and you need to want to put on that shirt and play for the club. And if you don't have that, then there's no point joining a team, you know. Do you know what I think? That's what Pep Guardiola brang to City. Although he had the money, he also had the philosophy and how he wanted to play yeah, to make it into a good him, yeah. team. So where do you think that falls down in Manchester United? Do you think it's the coach to blame or do you think it's the whole sort of players being arrogant? I think Ed Woodward has like some of the blame because he doesn't really know mu- too much about football, does he? He's just more about no, the business side. Yeah, there's been a lot of criticism with him being at Manchester United, not bringing the right players, bringing in players who don't deserve the sort of money like Alexis Sanchez. I mean, he was brought in from Arsenal. I mean, at, as a former, well, an Arsenal fan, what do you think of Alexis Sanchez? Um, do you think he left for the money or do you think he left for the ambition? I think a bit of both. Like, he could have gone to City, but I think they 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 want City wanted him, but they they weren't willing to pay what the uh, Arsenal were demanding for him. Yeah, so. I mean, would you have him back at, a cl- at your club now? Um, I don't know because I think he's burnt out now. Or do you like the way that Unai Emery has sort of re, well, not say you know re-evolved Arsenal, but sort of rejuvenized. Yeah, rejuvenized. Um, yeah. I think, like we've already had our downs. I, th- I think it's it's just going to get better from here, really. Because if you asked like any Arsenal fan before um, Emery took over, they, everyone would say, "Oh, we have to give the new manager like at least two years before we can say anything about him," because all those players that are there were brought in from Arsenal Wenger. 
Yeah, I mean, staying on with Arsenal because this is actually quite a key club. Arsenal, I think, quote me if I'm wrong. I think they're one of the only clubs who only spend their transfer of what they make as a profit, as rather than owners put, pumping money into it. They only spend what they make. So, and that's why there's been a lot of criticism with Arsene Wenger not buying players, but they've still done particularly well, finishing top four, top five for, I don't know, twenty years now. Yeah, easily. So there is an element of success without money in there, but I suppose it just sort of depends on how the club is run with the manager. Depends if you you know have a, the correct director of football who's you know who and the correct scouts and they you know the f- recruitment has to be done right and certain things, but yeah. I think that's the main thing. Well, from one top manager to another manager, Pep Guardiola, we caught up with him recently to talk about his club, Manchester City, and their financial fair play and how it's affected him and his views on it. So, what I think about that issue, the club making a statement the last Friday about what happened with the stolen mails. So, what I can say personally in the club, I, of course, I trust a lot with the club what they have done, and of course, we want to follow the rules, what the UEFA, the FIFA, or all the statements in the Premier League. They, they do what we have to do. So a part of that, believe me, I'm completely honest. So I don't know what happened because I am f- I'm a, a manager. I am focused what happened on the pitch, in the locker room, on of the pitch, but about the business, about they handle this kind of situation. I'm completely out of that. But I am part of the club. I'm support of absolutely the club. And we want to do what really we have to do in terms of the, of the rules. Always I said many times, we cannot achieve what we achieve the big clubs in Europe, not just in all the world in the big leagues, is because they have they have to spend. And spend why? Because we need good players. All the ideas that we have without good players, we cannot do that. So I said many times here in the press conference. So the first is because we have that opportunity. That after that, if the people say just about that, we have to accept it. But my point of view is completely wrong. So because we work a lot and work a lot in a good way. And that's why I always defend Especially my players, what they do. Every game, good morning, every game is important and you have to evaluate the most important game will be Shakhtar. First, because it's the first one. He's the next one. It's second, because it's the final. We have a big chance. It's not easy to win the third and the fourth game in the same opening in the short time of period between both games. It's so... It's a, after drop the points against Lyon, every game is a final. You have a big chance to, you know, to make an incredible step to qualify for any finals. So the next round, sorry. And then after we have three, four days to think about United. The first step, the first step is qualify for the next round. And we have three chances. Winning the two games at home will be there. And and that is the first target because the people say, "Ah, well, it's not enough." Always, my opinion, to achieve 80 finals is already a big success. But today, and every season is going to happen. Big big clubs is going to be out. They are not going to qualify for the next. So round. that was the Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola talking about what he thinks of the financial fair play that's affecting his club at the moment in the case. So it's quite interesting what he says. Do you think a manager has a right to be annoyed? Uh, his club or the owners for creating this sort of mess? Well, it's not the manager's responsibility. You know, that's more the board and that's their job. And they've got to be doing their job, you know, the board. But at the same time, yeah, I think he has because it's his career. Managers, although they can, you know, their careers can span from 40 years old up till they're like, you know, 75 or something, still his career, he wants to do the best thing he can do in his career. And if the club aren't backing him, 
he's got every right to leave, you know. So that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I mean, recently in football, it's been seen that owners have more say of their transfers and their targets and who they want to buy rather than the managers. So, Matt, as a sort of football fan, do you think the manager has a right to say to the owners, you know, I want to buy this player? Uh, within a reason, I think. If that player like matches the way that he wants to play and like without that player, he can't really play that, that system and stuff, then I think he has a right to like try and push that, that sale. Yeah, because I mean that links to Harry Redknapp because he's been at Portsmouth, Tottenham and QPR and in three, ch- three clubs he signed the Eagle Clan job constantly. So he's obviously had element of like a trust with the owners to buy these players and to, you know, perform success. So where do you think that should lie? Do you think the manager? Well, like, I think, yeah, the board needs to back the manager and everyone needs to be doing their job correctly if you want to have a successful football club. And if the board aren't, do- if the board aren't moving and not doing their job properly, then it's not going to work. And if the manager's not doing his job properly, it's not going to work even, you know. So it goes both ways, you know. Everyone has to be working correctly if you want a successful football club. Yeah, I mean, to quote Michael Platini... He called the president of Financial Fair Play in UEFA. He said that Financial Fair Play is a sort of financial doping within football, which, you know, I can only assume that he means it's cheating, really, to have this much money in your club. But then that also brings the argument that it's just pure luck. If you happen to get this sort of owner who's wealthy beyond belief, it's just luck. Well, football's football, you know, like, it doesn't matter about the owner in a lot of cases, you know, you can support Scumfoot United and at the end of the day, that's your team, you know, so I don't think the fans are going to be crying if they don't have a rich rich owner, you know, you support your team, rain or shine, and that's, that's it, really. Yeah, I mean, going on to smaller clubs, Queen's Park Rangers, who were in League One not so long ago, but they were invested by a wealthy owner to hopefully get into Premier League with the four-year plan there's also a documentary about it four years it took them to get to the Premier League do you think that should be allowed for a small club their stadium is 18,000 small club small club in West London you know probably one of the smallest clubs in London as a whole do you think Matt that should be allowed for a small club yeah I think it should but within reason like it depends how much is put in and how much they're actually generating themselves as a club so yeah, they got hit with a 40 million fine not so long ago for breaching the rules within financial fair play and buying players that they perhaps shouldn't have been allowed to buy. As a whole with financial fair play, how does it affect big teams? Well, since financial fair play started, nine clubs were found to have breached the financial fair play criteria in the first assessment period. Most notably, as we've said, Manchester City and PSG and a range of had a range of fines with sanctions that were imposed. City were fined 49 million pounds. 32 million of which was suspended had spending restrictions imposed and could only name a 21 man Champions League squad for 2014 to 15 so financial fair play the the whole structure of financial fair play they are quite strict on the rules within how a club is managed so we actually forgot to mention one of the sort of biggest highlights of football within the last five years is Leicester City winning the Premier League, who had no big budget. They had players that were there from the Championship a few seasons ago. Season before, just missed relegation. How big of an achievement was that to say to the big clubs, look, you don't need money to do what we're doing? It was huge. It says says it all, you know, about recruitment and all that. Obviously, they signed Kante, who pretty much won the league. He was amazing that season. Um, Mares, obviously, I don't know the exact figures, but they signed him for less than two million, I think, or you know, v- ridiculously low fees. But their recruitment was great. 
the way they scouted the players was amazing and it was just a fantastic season for Leicester and it goes to show that yeah you don't need money however obviously money does mean a lot and if you do have money it does help but at the same time fair play to Leicester it was a top notch season for them yeah man I mean what do you think about it because even the season after they've done well in the Champions League what do you think of the whole Leicester City story I think that they they've um, instead of buying success they've generated it they've uh, obviously won the league and then with those players they've they've moved some of them on and then used that money that they had from the players to invest it into the youth and now you can see like I know like James Madison for example he's not really youth anymore but they got him from a lower league and, and now he's he's playing just as good as everyone else in the team yeah I mean I can only assume that players from the lower leagues who are performing well can see Leicester City as a big club and a club that they can go to and hopefully be successful no, I think Leicester City is great for young players as well because, like, if you're looking at Leicester, it's a solid Premier League club. You're guaranteed a bit of game time because they're not the biggest club. However, they can always contend for Europe. You know, they're a decent little side and, you know, good on Leicester. Yeah, we've actually got an interview from a former Leicester CEO, Lee Hoos, who is now actually, quite funny enough, CEO of QPR, Chief Executive. So we've got an interview while he's at QPR. He actually mentions about the QPR financial fair play crisis and sort of discusses what's got actually going on. So here's Lee Hughes. I think it's important fans understand what's going on with their club on the business side. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times the only time uh, the business side of the club is discussed is when you're in deep, deep trouble. Then it becomes a big issue. Um, I think if people understand what's going on along the way, they understand why some of the decisions are made the way they're made. Um, and like I said, you know, it's, a, it's actually quite a complex business, a football club. Um, it's some simple philosophies, but the business itself is complex. You've got um, a, a retail organization, uh, it's, 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 it's a catering, it does publications, it does education, um, it does um, advertising and marketing, um, and it's, of course, it's the whole, the event, which is the main thing. You look at a something like Marks and Spencer's, it's a retail operation, you look at JC Deco, it's just advertising and marketing, but really running a football club is like running six SMEs, small, medium-sized enterprises. Okay, one of the issues that you've come into, if you like, has been the issue of financial fair play. Mm. There have since been recent reports that it's going to be resolved by a commission, is that the case? That's just the, um, that's a, um, really a reiteration of how the rules work and how these things would be, be, um, be decided. Um, that's what the Football League rules say with, with any dispute between, um, between uh, a club and, a, and, the, and the league. Um, so that would be how it would, would ultimately be decided should the, uh, the um, entities not come to an agreement with things. At the moment, we still maintain dialogue, um, but ultimately, if, if the, we couldn't reach agreement, that would be how, how it would have to be, be, be done. It is something that's been dragging on, timescale-wise, no clearer in that aspect? Not, as I said, I think everybody recognises this is such new ground um, for, for both Football League and for a club. That everybody wants to be dead sure about the precedent that, that's going to be sent and what their actual position is and be dead certain of what their position is going into it. Okay, there has been cost-cutting across the, the business, the business side, the football side. It's been well documented, yeah. the changes that have had to be implemented. With that in mind, when we're looking to the new season, what sort of impact will that have on Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and his ability to recruit players? I think, first of all, you have to go back to why I came here, which is, I, you know, my, my philosophy is I want to create a sustainable football club. Um, what that means to people varies. You know, fans will always want owners and, and, and directors who, quote, invest in the club. 
but fans have a, <laughs> my, my experience is most fans have, a, have an interesting um, view on what investment actually means because, you know, the average businessman, investment means I'm putting in money, I'm looking for a rate of return on that money. Whereas in football, it's a, it's a really old saying, but it's still so true. If you want to make a small fortune in football, start with a large one. Because the fans view is, yeah, you need to keep buying good players so that we can get into the Premier League. Um, but keep ticket prices low, okay, because I don't want to pay too much. So you keep investing and make sure we get good players. Um, and then when we're in the Premier League, it's, we got to keep investing to, so we can stay in the Premier League. So it's, it's kind of a ne never-ending um, circle. And I, uh, I, one of my favorite things to do with, um, with directors is I said, do you have any idea how much you are? Uh, I know you love football. I know you love your club. Do you know how much your season ticket actually costs you? And um, I've not done this with Ruben and Tony yet, but if he actually looked at the, you know, they wrote off uh, 160, they converted from that into equity. Forget the acquisition cost of the club. That's the additional 160 plus 60 million two years ago. So that's 220 million over the past three seasons, which means for each of them, he paid about 36 million a season for a season ticket. I can imagine, uh, you know, going home to the wife and say, "I want to buy a season ticket at QPR." So, like, "Wow, how much is that, dear?" Yeah, 36 million. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, that puts it into perspective. So, so uh, people will say, "Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't like. You should be reducing prices. You know, 20 is plenty." I, I, I bet Ruben and Tony think that. Go, yeah, 20 is plenty. I sold for 20,000. <laughs> that would be plenty. In, but, ter in terms then of that never-ending circle how do you do it's got to be broken because i think you um and i'm not suggesting that ruben and tony are saying oh we're getting sick and tired of funding it but of course you know you do get tired of writing a checkout every month to keep the club ticking over but you know I, what i what, what's what you have to be careful of is a situation like bolton where you know, at, at that point, and I just said, look, enough is enough. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then the club are in big trouble. And, you know, that, that's one of the issues I have with FFP is like, well, you know, you allege we're in breach of FFP. The whole thing is about financial sustainability. At Bolton, we're in FFP, but it was on the brink of administration. Is it really serving the purpose? You know, this is a legitimate question. I like, you know, that self-sustaining model to make sure all those SMEs I talked about before are producing the money to enable the club to go forward. And when we talk about SMEs, you know, it's a, yes, we run a retail business, yes, we run a catering and hospitality business, yes, we run a publications business, and yes, we run an education business in, in the academy. But the main business is about what happens between the white lines on the pitch. Um, and no business, no football club anyway, has ever gone out of business because the catering operation wasn't very good or the, or the, um, the, the retail operation wasn't very good. It's all down to, the, to, to what happens on the playing side. You know, that is the bulk of our business. And you know, like I said, if, if we were too much stationary, we're not going to tip it over the edge. But the player budget is, is a critical one, which really brings me back one point here. <clears throat> Player contracts, you know, I think that's something that we, you know, Les has worked very hard on and trying to rebalance those contracts because it's not, it's not rocket science, some of this stuff. I say it's a complex organization, but the philosophies need to be, you know, pretty simple. And that is we, three components of a player's contract. Right? There's the basic guaranteed remuneration. There's um, what they usually get on a match-by-match -match basis. And there's often a, you know, normally a player's incentive scheme as well on, on a win-loss and promotion. Um, Players, of course, always want the guaranteed part to be the biggest part of the contract. Clubs are always trying to manage that risk and make as, as much of it on contingencies as possible. Just trying to find that right balance. It's also about, you know, in the Premier League, this is most particular, having the appropriate relegation clauses in it as well. You know, going up, players hate to say, no, I'm not taking a pay cut if I go down, but at the end of the day, it's not mine. I don't make a single save or try to score a single goal. We have to put the responsibility where it belongs, and those things, those players, contracts need to be in that, that condition so that they match the revenue streams coming in. 
basically the more money we're getting in, the, the, the more we can afford the players, and, and normally the, the more a player is making tends to be a, a relative correlation to his skills as well as a player. Um, you know, and, and um, it, it all just dovetails into, you know, people will say, oh, it's just about the money, but at the end of the day, you know, if a player's going to come here for something that, um, because he doesn't, doesn't mind about the money, then fine. But I think you'll find most people in life, including football players, it's, it is about the money and making sure that, they are, that they're, they're living a lifestyle that they, they want to live. So the impact on Jimmy is, okay, we have to get the players who are you know, willing to take a bit more of a risk, having a bit more confidence in themselves, and saying, yeah, okay, I'll, 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 take, I'll take more on the, uh, on the agency side than the basic side. Um, because that's, that's really what it's going to have to be about. Now, obviously, we're looking at a scenario right now, and I always have to plan for a worst-case scenario. I can't do the, the, the hope and a prayer scenario where we get promoted next year. I have to work on the doomsday scenario where we're running out of parachute payments in, in three years' time. Therefore, what's, what about this year? What do the contracts look like to, next year? What do the contracts look like the year after that? And then doomsday is no parachute payment at all in three years' time, what does the club look like after that? So we're busy on the business side planning in, in, in that respect. Um, and then I, the, the difficulty is the manager is always saying, I need to wait, you know, three o'clock on Saturday is what I'm worried about. But I'm saying, yeah, yeah, but I need to worry about three o'clock Saturday, three years' time. So it's getting that balance right, you know, the players going in and making sure that we, um, while we are reining things in and we are cutting things and streamlining things, that we don't lose um, the service that, that, that those particular areas provide, that we don't lose what we do. Really, really difficult to say, cut costs but increase quality. Very difficult line to, to, to walk. So that was Lee Hughes talking about QPR's financial um, situation and how it's sort of going on now. We're going to reflect more on that in the next episode where we discuss more about the actual rules in financial fair play. As today, we just want to focus on the case studies, how clubs sort of handle it themselves and what they do to affect it and so forth so i hope you've enjoyed the first episode so it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from mario goodbye and goodbye from matthew goodbye see you next week